Uh, I want to invite you, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and again turn it to Luke uh, chapter 1. Today, uh, we're going to continue our series uh, entitled Expectant Praise uh, by looking uh, at the story of Mary's song. So Mary is going to, uh, man, she is going to uh, lead out in this song that really, uh, as we look at it, my hope uh, is for us to realize that, man, for the follower of Jesus, this is our song. This is a song of praise. This is a song that is an overflow of joy that we uh, are to sing as well. Uh, as you turn there, I, I want to remind us really quickly as we, uh, man, uh, again, we're getting closer and closer uh, to, uh, man, the day that we celebrate as the birth of Jesus during this Advent season. And, uh, man, this week, uh, Haley and I sat down on Friday uh, for, for some time just to kind of sync our schedules and our calendars together. And, and we got through the first week of January and we were like, well, it's pretty much filled up. Right. And uh, and, and I, you know, as I I thought about that, uh, I was also reminded just uh, about, man, how much of uh, man, what we filled that calendar with uh, was just time together with family time together celebrating. And man, I want us to be reminded, even in the midst of a full calendar, uh, that we can be intentional, uh, that we can, uh, man, have joy uh, in the midst of. Uh, the busyness and the craziness that this season uh, seems to carry with it because, man, we are to be a people uh, who, uh, man, slow down. We're to be a people who uh, can sit back and rest uh, in the, uh, man, the truth that Jesus has come and that it would draw us to uh, deep celebration uh, in light of our King. And so I want to re- uh, just remind us quickly uh, where we've been thus far in this chapter. Uh, because really each of these stories uh, is building to our Christmas Eve Eve gathering where we're going to gather to celebrate the birth of Christ. We'll gather together and we will light the Christ candle. And we remember that, man, He has come and, and, and sit in the anticipation of our continued waiting of His return. Uh, but really what we've had over the last couple of weeks is we've seen really two stories that have, that have showed us two totally different responses. We've seen the story of Zechariah, who was a priest that is visited by Gabriel in the temple as he's going to burn incense uh, on behalf of God's people. And he's told that while he is without child, uh, that, that God is going to give him a son named John. Uh, and he says all this, and then Zechariah's response is one of doubt, Right? He says, how can this be? I'm old and my wife is barren. So we see this story of doubt. And then we see Mary's story last week. Where this young girl is also visited by Gabriel. And he tells her, man, you have found favor in the eyes of God. Uh, and Mary contemplates. She centers down, as we saw last week. Uh, and really, uh, man, contemplates what uh, this greeting means for her. And Gabriel goes on to say, man, you're going to uh, you're going to have a son and his name's going to be Jesus. He will be the son of the most high. So he will be the very son of God. And then Mary questions what's happening. But hers is not a question of doubt. Hers is a question of biology. How can this happen? I am a virgin. Uh, and then we see, so what we see is while Zacharias is a story of doubt, Mary's is a story of surrender. And we see that at the end of our text last week, she says, man, let it be as your word says. Let the words of God be fulfilled. 
See, the difference in the two stories is Mary is uh, surrendered while Zachariah is seeking to control and his doubt is rooted in the reality that, well, God, this hasn't happened before. So if I, uh, man, go about this again, man, it, will it happen this time? Jesus one of dependent faith. It is a willingness to let God's word have its perfect work. And I want to note something that, that man, Mary's response is not, uh, it's not just blind faith. She's not just saying, oh, whatever happens, happens. No, it is dependent faith. But it's not just then, as we're going to see in the text, it is a faith that is dependent, even moving forward. It is a surrendered faith. She is surrendering her life to God. Man, I think even as we begin i think man our the focus is to be the same for us whether it's this advent season and you know the christmas season and the holidays or whether it's every season we are to live lives of surrender advent is not a time where we learn to wait and then on christmas day we celebrate and then on the 26th we say well now it's time to go january 1's coming and i got to get my list together No, it is a time of dependent faith where we wait and then tomorrow we wait. It's a response of dependent, and it's this type of response and it's this response of dependent faith that we see in the text that leads us into our time today where we're going to see this interaction between Mary and Elizabeth. And so let's begin by reading Luke 1. We're going to look at verses 39 through 45. It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, so as we jump into this text and really as we jump into the theme of our time today, which is Joy, I, I want to ask you a question. What brings you joy? We've done this enough time, y'all know. It's y'all's turn. What brings you joy? Family. Coffee, amen. <laughs> One with a newborn. <laughs> right? Amen. Common grace is good. What brings you joy? Being outside. Grandchildren. <laughs> Says a grandchild. And as you think about that, I mean, we could use a variety of answers. There are many things that cause joy to us because God and he man, he roots that in us. And do you take time to reflect on the truth that because of Christ, we are not just made to be joyful, but overjoyed. 
We are to have joy like a child. We, as we see in the text, are have leaping joy, a joy that is found in freedom. But sadly, we often allow our joy to be stolen, if not tampered down, do we not? You see, often, and I believe it's really exposed during this season, man, we seek to find joy in, 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 by putting too much stock in the reliance on ourselves. And I hope you hear that this isn't just for this season. This is every season. By the, putting too much stock in the relying on self and relying on others and how they respond to us or what they can do for us or our performance to give us the joy that only Christ can. We run to fleeting joy or happiness is what I would term it as. And what we tend to do is we seek to manipulate the situation for cheap happiness. And what happens is we are eventually exposed or we're eventually left longing for something more, are we not? When we put too much stock in those things, they could even be good things, right? When we make our dependence upon those things or those people or even ourselves, man, we are either exposed as not being enough or we are left longing for something more. I tried to think of an example of this and I, the, the one I came up with was when I was a kid, uh, when I would go and, and we would, uh, specifically when I go to my grandparents' house, every morning we'd go to the convenience store and I would get a Dr. Pepper because that's common grace for every child, right? Like, <laughs> at least for us. Uh, and, and so I would get a Dr. Pepper, but it, man, and during my childhood, something they don't do anymore is you could go and you could grab the drink and they would often be running these uh, contests where you would open it and you would look underneath it to see what you want, right? And it would say, try again or please try again. Or, man, if you got lucky, most of the, some of the time it would say, you get a free 20-ounce Dr. Pepper. And that's what you lived for, right? You lived, like that was joy right there. Like the expectation of walking in the store, grabbing that drink and opening it up. They miss out on it now because it's just a code that you have to get on the internet and type in and no one does that. Uh, but just to open that up, like you're, and you see that, man, you, you're, like, you're excited because the next time you go get that Dr. Pepper, you get to take that bottle cap up as long as you didn't lose it and you get to set it on the counter and be like, what? It's free. And you just walk out of that joker, right? Uh, and so I remember, man, all many times just like loving that. And so what I decided is because that gave me so much joy is that I uh, needed more wins. And I decided I was just going to manipulate the system. And so what I would do, and I got away with this for a long time, is I would get to the convenience store and I would go back there and I would look and I would grab a drink and I would open it. And if it said try again, I'd put it back and I would grab the next one and I would open it until I got one. And man, for a long time, I got away with it, okay? Which is probably why they started making it, you have to type it in because they were like, there's some kid that's just reaping harvest of Dr. Pepper. Uh, but my grandfather picked up on it after a while. He started noticing that, man, Kyle always has a winner, right? Something, you know, and, and, and so one day I go in and I didn't know, but he followed me. And so I look around and I don't see him and I start opening him up and I'm about three deep and he comes in and he's like, Kyle, what are you doing? And I'm like, I was caught, like I was exposed in the moment, right? And I was just like, nothing. And he was like, you can't do that, right? 
You can't, you can't go like you are seeking to manipulate. You are, what I was doing is I was putting stock in myself to find it and by doing so manipulating the system. I was exposed. You see, this season is a season. While we, when we think about this season, we think about things like that. While it is a season to be marked by joy, man, if we are truly to be a people of expectant praise, man, something that's got to happen is we've got to stop manipulating the system. We've got to stop looking to other things to satisfy and bring joy that only Jesus can bring. Joy must be a consistent and growing part of our lives. Because the reality of what has been revealed in bringing life to your deadness alongside the expectation of what has been promised to come, that is the only thing that can lead to joy. You see, expectation, when in its proper place, leads to joy as we're met with the good news of the Son. Guess what? Even if it means having your cheap happiness exposed... Dying to you the expectations of yourself, of others, and your need to prove and perform so that you might have that which you so long after. Guess what? Uh, man, if, if you walk through these holiday experiences seeking to find that in yourself or in others or in your expectations, guess what? Someone's going to offend you in the next couple of weeks. You're going to be having a conversation and, man, somebody's going to say something you don't like and you're going to want to, man, you thought they were going to bring you joy and now you're just offended by them. You're going to just cut them off for a couple of hours, if not another year. Um, you're going to come in with a lot of expectations about how things should go and they're not And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, man, to fight for joy. To look to Jesus. And your response will reveal your source of joy or your need for happiness by any means necessary. You see, today's text is to be a source of encouragement and an encourager of our joy because it's full of good news. Because, man, it says in those days following Gabriel's announcement to Mary, this young girl heads out in haste to the hill country so that she might spend some time with her cousin Elizabeth. Now, now briefly, I, I want to just note the continued surrender in the life of Mary. Because you see, while Mary's probably still wrestling with the reality of what she knew, because again, we were joking about this last night at the bonfire, Mary knew, Heidi hasn't made that post yet this year, but every year Heidi's like, she knew. Uh, Mary knew, but she's probably still wrestling with not only the reality of what's taking place, but also, man, the consequences, the, the shame that's going to be cast upon her, the misunderstanding And yet all the while, she is surrendered to the will of God. And it says, in obedience and haste, she makes the trip, which was likely about a 100 miles, to see her cousin Elizabeth. That word for haste there is an eagerness. Man, may our hearts and lives be marked by gospel-centered eagerness. And that we would go after Him as our source of joy. That we would make haste to dig into His Word. Not because we need to check a box or anything like that. Because, man, we're eager to worship our King. When she arrives, we see that she greets Elizabeth. 
Now, now this is more than just uh, probably the holiday greeting that you're going to give your family, right? Like when my cousins get together, I guarantee you in a couple of weeks, I'm going to walk in the door and this is all you're going to hear. What up, cuz? What up, cuz? What up, cuz? What up? Like that's how we greet each other, like forever. Like for the longest time. And like Haley's laughing about because that's how we talk to each other. But it's not that kind of greeting. There's way more expectation. There's something bubbling up here. Expectant praise is rising because there's a lot to share. But before any details are given, something extraordinary takes place. For John, who is in the womb of his mother, hears the greeting of Mary, who is now with child. And it says that he leaps in his mother's womb. This leaping would describe if you've ever seen a lamb or a, a, a young baby animal in a field just running and just leaping, you know, like it's almost all, like it's an enjoyment to watch. That's what's taking place in this moment. I mean, I've never been a mother, obviously. <laughs> and so I can't fully understand the feelings of love and joy experienced when a child moves inside their mother. But I have seen moments that looked like leaping when my wife was pregnant with our three children. Like some of you are like, ah, it looks like they're doing karate in there, right? Like you're like, that just shouldn't happen. But man, to experience that, right? Like to see that, that you're like, man, like it's beautiful. What we find here in this text is really what we see here is John's first prophecy. For the prophet leaps with joy, as we'll see in just a moment, for the one whom he would one day prepare the way for. I want you to know what's also going on here. John, at this point, was likely about nine inches long at the time. He weighed about a pound and a half. He had fingerprints, toe prints. He carried the capacity not simply for life, which this text is a reasoning for why we should all be pro-life. But he also had the capacity to be filled with the very Spirit of God. You see, this text exemplifies the scripture that says, man, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You see, this was an expression by John that sets the stage for what comes next. Because not only does John leap for joy, Elizabeth, a man we see is filled with the spirit and she prophesies Mary to be blessed. She exclaims with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed. And what does it mean to be blessed? I mean, how we commonly use it is often frustrating, right? Like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed, right? Or we see like blessings on blessings on blessings, you know, and it, it, we make light. We, we, we ha- have taken it and, and used it for that which it is not, you know. The other common way, like when do you say bless? When someone sneezes, right? Bless you. And I, I thought that the reason we said that is because, you know, there's that common misconception that man, when someone sneezes, their heart stops. It doesn't happen, okay? Your heart doesn't, it might skip or delay a little bit, but that's not what happens. Really, the, where this term comes from, uh, most believe that in Rome during the bubonic plague, one of the symptoms of the plague was sneezing. And so Pope Gregory told people that when you heard someone sneeze to say, God bless you. 
But it wasn't as a prayer for the person who sneezed. It was actually a prayer over you. Really what you're saying is, God bless me, don't give me that. Like that, and I read that, I was like, man, that's selfish, right? But like, that's what they would say. The literal Roman translation of this phrase uh, is, banish the omen, you know? So while Christians were saying, hey, God bless you, or God, don't let me get that. Man, even people who worship pagan gods were saying, man, get the omen away from me. So what does it mean to be blessed? Well, according to the word of God, to be blessed is to receive. Let me say that again, is to receive a gift from God. For he is the one by which all blessings and gifts flow. Every good and perfect gift, every blessing comes from where? It's from above. We cannot bless ourselves. We can only be blessed by the finished work of God through Christ. And Elizabeth, by the power of the Spirit, knows that not just Mary is blessed, but that she is carrying the Messiah who will be a blessing to all creation. What I really love about Mary's, or Elizabeth's response here, it really is two things I love most, is first her humility in light of this good news. She says, man, who am I? The one carrying the Messiah would come here. See, this is a mark of the transformative power of the gospel. For who are we that Christ would show us mercy and give us life? And yet when His presence and love is revealed to us, we, like John, leap for joy and new life. Truly the theme for today is this just overflow of joy and light of new life in Jesus. The second thing I love is her posture of encouragement and the celebration of Mary's faith and believing and submitting to the fulfillment of what was spoken to her by God. She says, man, man, Mary, blessed are you because you, man, you surrendered in faith to God's word. The reason I love that so much is because I believe that we should take note of this. We should encourage the word of obedience and grace that is manifested in each other's lives. When's the last time you encouraged someone? Not just a simple, hey, good job, or, um, but when's the last time you just stopped someone and said, hey, I just want to encourage you in this. I see this in you, and it makes me love Jesus more. When's the last time you did that? My challenge for each of us is that we would spend the next week and once a day, we would give a genuineness and thought to encouraging one person a day. That we would have eyes that see and then we would step out and encourage that in one another. Because we need that. Not so that the person might be built up so that they might see, man, God's doing something in your life. And so with that, let's look now at Mary's response, which is a, a, a song of praise. That This song of praise is both personal and prophetic, uh, but it's also, man, it is full of good news and grace. And, and so as we read, I, I want you to think about your current responses in your heart towards God. We're going to break this song up into two sections, beginning with the person, more of the personal side of things uh, by reading verses 46 through 50. This is Mary's response to Elizabeth. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. 
For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. All right, so in light of all that's taken place in her life, and with the blessed words of Elizabeth and the joyful leaps of John, Mary begins by proclaiming, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. This term magnify simply means to enlarge. What Mary's proclaiming here is that her expression of worship is so great and, and so focused on God that she is wanting, she's saying, I want to enlarge God and not me. The literal translation is to make great the Lord. To make God big. Now, in truth, can we make God any larger than He already is? No. He's inexhaustible. But while we cannot make Him bigger, we can be enlar- He can be enlarged in one's life. You see, we magnify or enlarge God when we take into our thinking and understanding some new aspect of His greatness. Which again is why we need to be a people who slow down enough to contemplate our need in His glory. And the way we do that is by the reading and studying of His Word. To know God, one must know Him by the revealed Word. We are transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Therefore, a fuller knowledge of His glory. The the fuller knowledge of His glory, the greater our ability is to enlarge Him. But not only does her soul magnify the Lord, she says, My spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. You see, rejoice here is a picture of what it means to worship God in both spirit and in truth. Mary here is proclaiming that by God's grace, she worships with her total self. Her worship is not fragmented at all. How often do you find yourself experiencing fragmented worship based on your circumstances? Mary, in the midst of her circumstance, she, there, there's, her worship is not fragmented. Because she surrendered and submitted to the will of God and His Word. How often do you find your worship fragmented? Again, when we look to self, when we look to others, when we look to expectations, performance, wrong identity, what happens is our worship becomes fragmented. How are you walking here today? You just feel like your worship's just fragmented. It's all over because then you find yourself, you've given yourself to a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And God's the only one worthy of our worship. Everything else is idol worship. And I think one of the biggest pulls in the church right now is, man, this... This uh, struggle to, to fragment our worship based on, uh, man, uh, there, there being really uh, this, this lie that we don't really need community. Man, to truly worship, we do it in community. Why we're called the family of God, right? Like, because what that is a picture of is, guess what? God, like, the Trinity is not fragmented. It's three in one. 
And as followers of Jesus, we need, like if our worship to express itself in its fullness and not be fragmented, which is what we often think because we think, well, my worship is my worship and your worship is your worship, which again fragments the church. We're not to be, that's not to be us. We're to give ourselves to God. And then we do that together. Because guess what? We are His what? We are the body. And so why can Mary magnify and rejoice? Why can, can uh, the follower of Jesus, why can we today, no matter the circumstance, magnify and rejoice? Well, it's because God, by His grace, Mary says, looks upon us and we are led to humble surrender. The reason she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice because He is my Savior, for He has looked on my humble estate. Humble estate here is not Mary simply saying God looked upon her childlessness. Again, Mary was a virgin betrothed to a man. So likely a child, before Gabriel shows up, a child is way in the distant future, right? She's not like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Rather, her humble estate is being used to proclaim the estate of all God's people who wait in expectant praise for the birth of the Messiah. But also, we too wait. We too find ourselves in a humble estate waiting for Jesus to return and make all things new. This humble estate, according to one writer, acknowledges that neither she nor her people could do anything to bring about their deliverance. Therefore, salvation had to come another way. And guess what? It has come another way. It came through Jesus For Jesus comes to those who know they have need. Humility is key. St. Augustine said it best when he stated, For those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing, humility is the second, and humility is the third. It's Mary who then proclaims that in this humility she is blessed, as are all who come to know Christ after her will be, for to be blessed is to bear the image of God. And this displayed reality, the displayed reality of this grace is shown in three forms in verses 49 and 50. First, she said that uh, God in His mighty power does great things. This is a gospel principle that points to the fact that it is only by His power and might that you're saved. In response to that, she says his name is holy or holy is his name. You see, his holiness produces not only reverence and salvation, but a posture of humble dependence and surrender, which leads us to being a people of continual awe and contemplation of just how great he is, how in need we are. And how amazing is the grace that gives us life and joy. And he says, she says, your mercy for all who fear him. He is mercy for all who fear him from generation to generation. The mercy of God is displayed in the grace and faithfulness of Christ. And it is for all time. This should be good news for us today because the good news is as good as it was when Mary said this. And it'll be just as good as tomorrow and the next day and the next day. 
And it's in light of the power, holiness, and mercy of God that Mary's songs transition from really something that's very personal, but uh, I believe all of this is personal, but further into the prophetic. And so let's look now at verses 51 through 55. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Okay, so what we see here is Mary delivering a prophecy of what her son would be, not just for his people, but for all creation. And and what we see in this text is we see that this comes in, in terms of four reversals. What I mean by that is this is the way things are. This is what Jesus does. This is the way things are. This is what Jesus does. And they come by his life, death and resurrection. Something to note, I don't know if you picked up on it as we read the text, all of these reversals are marked in the past tense. Mary's words proclaim such assurance and faith in the future work of God that it is presented as past and accomplished. Jesus is just starting to grow in her womb. And yet Mary, in faith, says this is assured. This is what the Messiah will do. And talk about expectant praise. Do we live and proclaim the reality of Christ's return with the same faith and assurance that Mary does about what He would do even as He resides in her womb? So let's work through the four reversals really quickly. First, we see the moral reversal. It says, He has shown strength with His arm by scattering the proud. You're going to see this dichotomy between the proud and the humble all throughout these four reversals. Jesus scatters the proud or those who think themselves to be enough by way of arrogance and conceit. And he does this by the strength of his arm and wrath while the humble are received and given life by grace. And this is a picture of God's upside down kingdom. For blessed are what the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Psalm 34 states the Lord is near to the broken heart and he saves the crushed in spirit. This comes by way of Christ ultimately humbling Himself to the point of death and then making the proud look foolish by resurrecting in all power and authority. So we have a moral reversal. Next, we have a social reversal. He has brought down the mighty and exalted the humble, Mary says. Again, the reversal here is against the proud and for the humble. For while the proud seek to exalt self, they will be cast off of blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here again, we see the call of those of humble estate. This is not simply about the size of one's estate, but the willingness of oneself to realize that they can't be enough, do enough, or look the part enough to gain that which comes by gifts of God's grace. You can't earn being blessed. It's bestowed on you by God's grace. We just sang about it. By grace and grace alone. Next, we see a material reversal. It says that uh, he has filled the hungry and sent away the rich empty. This is a picture of the worship of material sufficiency versus a dependence upon God for the filling of our deeper need and hunger. Again, it goes to the proud and the humble. 
Guess what? Um, presence will not bring the satisfaction you desire or need, whether it's the receiving of them or the giving of them. A bigger house, a newer car, or a higher paying job will not fill the deeper hunger you have. Only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and find it in the finished work of Jesus will be filled. You see, the reward for such hunger and thirst is satisfaction because Jesus states, whoever drinks of the water that he gives, will what? Will never thirst. Whoever comes to him as the bread of life will never hunger for all time. All who seek after the riches of the world will be sent away and swallowed up by the emptiness of their riches and stuff. And then lastly, we see the spiritual reversal. It says, He has helped His servant Israel in remembering His mercy that He spoke to Abraham and to His children forever. You see, Mary closes with this spiritual reversal that reveals God's mercy as the source of our hope and salvation. For while apart from grace, we constantly forget and run to other things in the hopes that we might find salvation, security, and identity, it is only by God's grace and mercy that we find the help that we need. For God has not forgotten the promise He made. He did not change the plans. His promise that was made to Abraham is a promise for all generations that He will show mercy and grace to those He loves and gives life to. And we know this because Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Therefore, we can find joy in the midst of all things. We can have a reason to celebrate in all seasons for we know that He who came is ruling now with all authority and He is coming again to make all things new. And may this cause our hearts and lives to leap in expressive joy. And may the world around us know about the hope we have in Christ. I said at the beginning that man, Mary's song right here, it's our song. It is a song that we are to proclaim. Our souls are to magnify and rejoice. For He looked upon our lowly estate. He looked upon our deadness and gave us life. He shows strength. He is mighty. He is holy. He is merciful. He comes to those in need and He gives us life. But He doesn't just give us life. He gives us everything. We are without lack. He has done what He said He will do. And He will fully finish it and make all things new. May that draw us to joy. I'm going to have the team come back up and I want us just to reflect on that. I want you uh, to spend some time just reflecting and resting. What brings you joy? What are you after? What are you seeking? Are there things in your life that you're seeking to manipulate and control? Are you looking to sell for others or uh, whatever it is, performance, so that you might find some semblance of joy? And it's just always just fleeting. It's there for a moment and then it's gone. Do you find yourself exposed today? Guess what? It's okay. That's good. That's good news if you find yourself exposed today because God's grace is sufficient. You find yourself 
in lack because, man, you keep running after all these other things. And He is there. Cry out in your humble estate. May we be a people that magnify and glorify and rejoice is what He has done. His strength that is made perfect in our weakness. That He has reversed that which we could not. May it give us joy. How do you need to be encouraged by the Word of God today? Even if it means repentance. Because that's a grace as well. Also, how do you need to encourage others? He has not forgotten the promise He made. He did not change His plans. May we go to Him in haste. I want to invite you to do just that this morning in reflection, confession, and worship, and the sharing of communion. Man, if you are a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come and share and partake in the reality of that reversal. That Jesus would give of Himself fully. That He would humble Himself even unto death so that we might have life. That it would draw us to humility. As we partake, we would remember His sacrifice. Jesus, we know that You are the source of all joy. That every blessing comes as a grace and a gift to us from You. And I pray that we would come today humble, with open hands, surrendered and dependent, and that from that, that we might experience deep worship. That we would quit looking to other things. That we would quit trying to manipulate the system. That we would trade those things so that we might deeply worship. Knowing that You are powerful, that You are merciful, and that You are holy. That we are not, and yet You make us holy by the blood of Your Son. We ask these things in Jesus' name.